Hey guys, it's Allie. Welcome back to Infertile AF, the podcast. This is episode 140 called Katie and Emily. Today's episode is brought to you by Belly, prenatal vitamins that help get your body the healthiest it can be to welcome a new little life. Belly's vitamins are formulated to optimize fertility and prenatal health for men and women through all stages of pregnancy, from conception through to post-pregnancy. Belly's revolutionary science-based formulation fuels your fertility to help support egg quality, promote hormonal balance, and increase your overall fertility health. Belly for men prenatals are specially formulated with clinically proven nutrients optimized to help increase sperm count, help improve sperm morphology and motility, and boost overall fertility. To get started with Belly, go to bellybaby.com and use code Ally15 for 15% off your first month of either Belly Women or Belly Men. Again, it's bellybaby, B-E-L-I-B-A-B-Y.com and use code Ally15, A-L-I-15 for 15% off. Thanks, Belly. All right, guys. So today's story is so damn good and incredible. This is a story of two sisters who each have their own infertility journeys, but they are also very much intertwined. So the gist of it is that both Emily and Katie had one child, and then in 2019, their world was rocked when Emily was diagnosed with appendix cancer. So after a surgery that took her ovaries, Katie donated eggs to Emily so she could try for her second kid. And then a lot more happened after that. So I don't want to give too much away. I just want to thank these incredible sisters. Please grab your tissues because this story is beautiful and it's heartbreaking. And it's just a true testament of love and the incredible bond between these two incredible sisters and between sisters everywhere. So I'm so glad they reached out to me. Thank you, Katie and Emily. Thank you to our mutual friend, Monica for connecting us. And I know you guys will be super riveted throughout this whole story. So without further ado, this is Katie and Emily's infertility story. Katie and Emily, I don't think I've had sisters on the show yet. I've had best friends and I've had some couples, but this is a first. So thank you so much for doing this. Of course. Happy to be here. Yes. So Katie, you are in Atlanta right now, right? And Emily, you are in Paris. Tell me yeah, I live, I live in London, but I'm with my in-laws for fall break. So amazing. So before we get started, just tell me about you guys as sisters, who's older and what were you guys like, you know, when you were little, like, did you get along? Did you fight? What was the dynamic? So this is Emily. I'm the oldest of four. Katie and her twin, Eric, are two and a half years younger than I am. And then we have um, a younger sister, Molly, that I'm almost 13 years older. She's the surprise of the family. (laughs) Um, So I guess I'm growing up. I mean, Katie will probably want to share more about this, but (laughs) <laughs> I guess I would, probably wasn't the I probably wasn't the nicest older sister. I cared more about you know hanging out with my own friends and stuff, and which hurt, hurt Katie a lot. But I think as we've gotten older and matured more, we've become closer. And now that we both have young kids, um, we have 
a lot in common and a lot to share together. So, yeah, I found that with my older sister too. So my sister Kim is four years older than me and we were pretty different growing up, but as soon as we both had kids, it was just brought us so much closer together and, you know, just Mm -hmm. that instant bond, but you guys are Mm -hmm. also very bonded because you both have these fertility journeys. So let's start with Katie, you wrote me an email, you know, kind of talking about how you guys wanted to share what you called a pretty crazy story. So you started it with Emily, um, had a pretty standard pregnancy and birth with Estelle in 2015. So do you guys Mm -hmm. want to start there and tell me kind of what happened? Sure. So I um, I sorry to interrupt you. Oh, thank you. Yeah. My husband's French. So, um, our kids' names all work in both languages. Beautiful. Um, so my pregnancy with Estelle was, you know, pretty standard. I was 31 when I got pregnant with her. It only took a few months to get pregnant. Um, had a fairly healthy pregnancy, except towards the end, I had to be induced at 39 weeks because she, um, was starting to stop growth. It's called IUGR. Um, and she was born pretty small and, um, had some blood sugar issues, but nothing crazy. And, you know, everything was fine. So I, in my head, I guess I never anticipated having any issues with future pregnancies. And my plan was always wait a few years and then have another one. But I actually decided to go to nursing school after having Estelle. I had like the best postpartum nurses ever and decided that I wanted their job. And when Estelle was two, I went back to nursing school and the plan was always to work in like that mother baby area. And then Katie actually had her first Rowan when I was in my second to last semester of nursing school. And I was really bummed because I was in clinical and they wouldn't let me leave. And I missed the birth by an hour. Oh no. Um, All right, Katie, tell me about having Rowan. (laughs) Did you have a pretty easy time getting pregnant or how was that? Yeah, it took, um, it took about four months, which it's hilarious because I thought it was taking forever. <laughs> right. Funny. Isn't that funny how you look back and you're like, oh my God, it's been four months. I'm dying. Yeah. Yeah. And it, he was born at 40, almost 42 weeks. And Emily was going to be my doula and she couldn't make it because some guy got hit by a, um, like an 18 wheeler. Semi truck. Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. Um, and I was, I got to watch this guy come back to life. So I got to witness that, but I did miss the birth of Rowan, which is still like a major bummer. Yeah. So then what happened? Tell me about in 2019, how your world got rocked. What happened? Yeah. So, um, in 2019, um, it was February, 2019. I was a few months, um, short of finishing nursing school and I was in the middle of my practum. It's kind of like your last semester where you pick a specialty and um, that's what you focus on. And mine was labor and deliveries, but I was really busy working labor, long labor and delivery shifts. Um, and I noticed that my stomach was growing. So I was just feeling really bloated. I'd have to unbutton my pants every time I ate. And I started to look pregnant, honestly. And my husband was like, is there any way? And I would... I was like, no, I have an IUD, like no possible way. And I just kind of ignored it and thought it was, you know, stress with nursing school, everything that I had on my plate. Um, And when I showed my mom one day, she was like, you need to see the doctor like immediately. My mom's a nurse and I get, she just 
or had a feeling that something was off. So she pushed me to go see a doctor and I did. And they had me get a stat CT scan on the next day. And when I got the results back, they found a huge tumor on my left ovary. And at the time, about 10 pounds of fluid in my abdomen, which is why I was feeling like so full and bloated. Wow. So yeah, it just, it happened so quickly. It went from like, oh, I'm sure it's nothing. Like I'm stressed. I, you know, maybe I'm not eating so great to like, you know, this is most likely cancer. So um, they thought it was ovarian cancer. Um, and I went and saw a gynecological oncologist and she, we did blood work and they had someone review my scans again. And they were like, this is not gynecological in nature. All of your tumor markers are pointing towards something in GI. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was like, okay, I'm like what, you know, what the heck is happening? Um, they pushed me to see another, um, surgical oncologist. And I thought it was colon cancer, which also is like a, another death sentence. I feel like, um, yeah. like ovarian and colon are two cancers that you don't ever want to get diagnosed with. Yeah. So I was lucky in that they pushed me to see him right away within a week. And when I saw him, he was like, you have appendiceal cancer. So appendix cancer essentially. And I was like, what the heck is that? I've never heard of that in my life. And he was like, you know, it's a very rare cancer, but we're seeing it more and more. And, um, it's not going to be a fun treatment, but most likely you will not need a chemo systemic chemo. Um, you'll need a huge surgery where we remove anything the cancer is touched. And that includes your ovaries, fallopian tubes. It could mean your uterus too, um, part of your large intestine, gallbladder, et cetera. And if you are planning to expand your family, then you're going to want to see someone in reproductive endocrinology ASAP. Um, so I was just like, well, like what, like, holy shit what's, you yeah. know, what's happening. Of course I want another kid. Like, what do I have to do? And you know, for me, I I had never, you know, even thought about REI had some friends that had gone through IVF, but um, they were very private about it. So it wasn't something that I was super familiar with. So I was like, okay, what do I need to do? And they literally found my REI for me. And before I could even make an appointment, the office um, called me and scheduled me an appointment. And we started um, an IVF protocol probably within like four days of my diagnosis, which is crazy. This is all happening so fast. So tell me just emotionally, what did it feel like to get that diagnosis and find out that you're going to have to have the surgery and this removed and this removed and fertility. And oh my God, you must've felt like you were hit by a ton of bricks. A truck. Yeah. Yeah, I I mean, honestly, it happened so fast that it didn't give me a ton of time to like think through the whole process and like, you know, oh, maybe my possibility of having kids is over now. It was more like, okay, I just want to, I still want to live. So um, just tell me what I need to do and I'll do it. And I guess the diagnosis of appendix cancer for me was like a good thing because I had already thought of every possible worst scenario with ovarian and and colon cancer. And my doctor was like, you know, this is a really great prognosis, you know, most likely once you have the surgery to remove all the cancer and which also includes this heated chemo that they flush your abdomen with to get rid of any rogue cancer cells. 
Um, he was like, you know, your prognosis is good. You most likely will not need anything further after that. Wow. Um, so for me, I was like, okay, well, this is like, this totally sucks, but it could be worse. Right. And I was like, I'm still going to be able to have kids. Like there's a possibility I still get to keep, um, at least one ovary that's not touched and my uterus. So I guess I was just super optimistic in that regard. So when it came to doing IVF, instead of making embryos, I was like, I just want to do an egg retrieval. Like, I don't want to spend all this money and then not end up needing them later. Like if we decide we want embryos, we'll do it then. And so my REI was like, no, whatever you want to do, we'll support you in that. So that's what we chose. And I mean, I was lucky that I had really great family support. Like my parents were amazing and, you know, immediately helped me with um, my older daughter, who's still, who was only three when we were going through this and, Mm -hmm. you know, said like, you know, whatever this costs, like the egg retrieval IVF, like, you know, will help you. Like, I don't want you to even worry about money right now, especially when um, like cancer is our main concern. But my, my REI was really awesome because she provided me with um, all of these organizations that help people going through oncofertility. So like the cancer fertility space, which I didn't even know this was like a whole world, but it is. Right. So my meds were provided by the Livestrong organization and Walgreens has a special nonprofit that helps. Um, so all, pretty much all my meds were covered. And then this awesome little um, family nonprofit called Team Maggie um, gave us a couple thousand dollars to go towards the retrieval. So like it, uh, it just happened all so fast, but I feel like all these people just jumped in to help me and to, to make it work. And the plan was to do this IVF protocol to do the egg retrieval and to have my big surgery two days after. So, Oh my gosh. Um, okay. Hold on. I want to put a pin in that real yeah. quick. <laughs> Shift over to Katie. So Katie, as her sister, Hearing all this, what were you going through emotionally? How did you feel? Um, like she said, it really happened so fast. And I had, yeah, Rowan was a baby um, and I had a full-time job. Six months. Yeah. And and I will say like, you were not super open about like how you were feeling at the time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I thought, I mean, honestly, I felt so poorly that it was like in my if I wasn't at school or at the hospital for my clinicals, I was at home sleeping because I felt like such shit. So, yeah. And like, I guess I just didn't let my mind travel to that space of like, Oh, what if I'll never be able to have a kid? Because in, in my head, I was like, there's nothing that's ever taking that away from me. Like I'm going to have another child. Right. So, so but Katie was like, listen, if they take your uterus away, I'll be a surrogate. And I was like, I'm not going to need that. Like, stop. Um, but she, <laughs> she like already jumped to that space and was, and was like ready to, to do that for me. Um, incredible. so, which was amazing. Yeah. Honestly. All right. So Emily, back to you, they did mm-hmm. the, so they did the retrieval. Do you remember mm-hmm. how many eggs you got? And then tell me about the surgery as well. Yes. So they did the retrieval. My protocol actually took like two days longer than normal. So I had to order extra meds. I was so bloated. Um, I literally, the day before my surgery, I literally looked about seven, eight months pregnant. Um, like my stomach was so distended and tight, like my belly button had completely flattened. Um, and so on top of like all the bloating from all of this 
it's called ascites, it's fluid in the abdomen, you get bloated from all the retrieval drugs. So I'm sure all of that combined just made it worse. But I had the retrieval two days later than we anticipated. And my surgeon, who doesn't even usually operate on Fridays, like changed his schedule just for me so that he could operate on me two days after the retrieval because I didn't want to do like back to back two days in a row. It was a lot. Right. Um, I love so it. I had the retrieval. <laughs> I got uh, seven eggs because I only had one good ovary. And at the time, I didn't even think anything of it. I was like, yay, seven eggs. Like, I didn't know anything about the IVF process that much except for like giving myself injections I didn't know what was good so I was like that's seven possibilities for me to have a child later and we kind of you know we froze them and that was it and you know I was like this is for later well now I have to focus on like getting better right um so that was that and then I had my surgery two days later it was a nine-hour surgery And I spent nine days in the hospital and about three months recovering off after that um, because there was so much involvement with my um, my GI tract, um, eating and going to the bathroom were major issues. Um, Mm -hmm. And so I've like never experienced more abdominal pain in my life. Um, I lost about 40 pounds. Oh my gosh. And and I could barely like walk up the street without... um, having pain, but I, I was still was able to time in your life where we had to force you to move. <laughs> yeah. Like I'm, I'm super, I'm super active in general. Like I'm the one that forces my family to do boot camp on vacation. Like I'm <laughs> right. um, so for them to be like, come on, take a walk. And me being like, I really don't want to. And they're like, you, you have to get up. You have to take a walk. Like you're never going to get better if you don't yeah. do this was, was weird for me. Um, right. So in the surgery, did they, they did end up taking your ovaries, correct? Yeah. So they ended up taking both my ovaries, both my fallopian tubes, but they did leave my uterus. And it's funny because in the middle of the surgery, my oncologist called my REI and was like, I could take the uterus or I could leave it. Like, what do you think? And she was like, absolutely leave it. And he was like, okay. Oh, wow. I love um, that they consulted each other. That's so cool. I know we, we have an amazing uh, teaching hospital, like basically in our backyard in Atlanta called Emory university. And I received such good care. Like I'd never had to like re share my story with a new doctor because they all were talking before wow. I even would get to appointments, which That's I incredible. feel like is often rare. So I was really, really lucky in that regard. Um, but yeah, healing totally sucked, but I didn't have to go through systemic chemo, which was major. I didn't, lose my hair or anything like that. It was more, I got cut open literally from the sternum to my pubic bone. So I have like a Frankenstein scar in my abdomen. And it should be noted that you finished nursing school as you were healing. Oh my gosh. You're amazing. (laughs) So, well, I was lucky that I finished all my clinical hours for that um, practicum before my diagnosis. So really I had just exams and things and my, my university was really, um, good with allowing me to do stuff from a distance and, um, like taking my time turning in papers, but I got everything finished before graduation and I graduated on time, which was a huge, because a lot of people in, in this appendix cancer space told me there was no way that I, I would make it but I was determined to prove him wrong and finish. So, yeah. Wow. That's awesome. 
Okay. Yeah. So what, what happened a little bit down the road, um, with your frozen eggs and did you end up making embryos or what happened? So uh, my husband and I had known that when I was finished with school that we wanted to start again to have a family. So I had my REI was like, I just need your oncologist's blessing. Like I want him to give me the go ahead that we can do this and that it's safe. So he wanted me to have a clean CT scan at six months post surgery. So I did. My scan was clean. He gave me his blessing. And um, within a month of that, we started the protocol for an embryo transfer. So we made, we did make embryos and my REI was always really honest with me. She was like, listen, um, you know, seven eggs, like it could go either way. The best case scenario would be you get seven eggs turns into five embryos, which turns into on day five, you know, two to three blasts. Then maybe you have one to transfer and one to freeze. That would be best case. Mm-hmm. And she was like, plan B would be you get only one embryo and we transfer it and see if it happens. And she was like, plan C would be egg donor, which, um, Katie and I had always discussed this and she thought she was like, you know, if, if you need me, I'll, I'll always be your egg donor. And I was like, okay, like it's good to know. But in my mind, I was like, no way. Like I have all these eggs. Um, I'm sure it's going to happen. Right. Like I just never let myself go there. Right. I guess. So Katie, tell me about the egg donation conversation. Was it, it sounds like you had no hesitation. Like you're like, I'll do anything for my sister and for her to have more kids. Was that how you felt? um, I mean, absolutely. I should note that my mom was, I think when, when the conversation started to happen or like with her diagnosis um, and the possibility of her ovaries being removed or uterus, uh, my mom was like, well, your sisters will help you. And (laughs) right wait what (laughs) me and my little sister were like well of course like you don't even have to say that yeah there was never there was never any question I mean yeah my little sister um she she would be she would have been happy to help but um she has narcolepsy um so medically it would have just been like super and she's in New York City so Mm -hmm. Logistic. It would have been more complicated. And usually they like the donor to already have been a parent. Right. Because there's there's a lot of like psychological stuff involved, obviously. But yeah, that was always like both of my sisters were like, whatever you need from us, if you if you ever need it, like we're here. And so I was like, okay, that's good to know. But like, I'm not gonna need you. It's all gonna go perfect. So when right. we when when we set up for the transfer, we, we you know, you have like the day where you make the embryos. Like, um, my husband went in, that was like day one or day zero, day zero. And the plan was for a Friday transfer, like off the five day blastocyst day. Well, on day two, um, I had worked night shift at the hospital the night before. So I was like in the deepest sleep ever. Um, I woke up randomly and I saw that I had like seven missed calls on my phone. And when I listened to voicemail, it was my REI being like, Emily, I don't have good news. Um, out of your seven eggs, we only have two embryos on day two and they're not looking good. So you have two choices. You can see if they grow to day five blasts or you can come in today and do a transfer for day two. Sometimes the human body is like a better incubator yep. than a Petri dish. And I was like, what the hell? Like I'm like half asleep. So I call her. And I was like, well, what would you tell me what to do? Like, I can't, 
I don't know what, I don't know what to do. Like you tell me what you think. And she was like, if it were me, I would come today. Oh, wow. Okay. I was like, okay. So my husband and I rushed over to the hospital and they prepped me for a transfer and we did it and just hoped for the best. But unfortunately, I uh, found out it didn't work a week later. I did take a home pregnancy test just because I, I was not feeling any symptoms. and I just had a feeling. And then when I did get the blood test and my nurse called me, I was like, I know, like, I know it didn't work. And she was like, I'm so sorry. And then, oh, yeah. Um, my REI called me. And of course I like broke down with her on the phone. Like, I was like, how do you even do this for a job? Like, this is like the hardest job telling people like that they're, family plan isn't working out like they thought. And, um, she calmed me down and I was like, listen, we had always talked about your sister being the plan C. If you want to make that happen, I want both of you to come in my office next week. And I feel like it's going to give you like some bit of like hope to this process. And that's how this next step happened. Wow. Pretty much. It's so incredible. I love your doctors. I mean, I really, you know, I think there's so many moments where you're like, tell me what to do. I mean, I felt that so much yeah. when I was going through this. Yeah. I'm so glad mm-hmm. that they were giving you this great sound advice. Mm-hmm. So, okay. Yeah. So, and uh, my doctor's amazing. Like I, like I have her cell phone number. I can even text her if I want to. Like I honestly, right. I, I put on all my trust in her and also because Emory's a teaching hospital and it's not like they're trying to do IVF for a profit. Um, I just felt like she had my interests at her. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I just, honestly, I, I like, I fully trust her. Yeah. Yeah. She's amazing. She's now my sister's REI, which we'll get into, but, um, yeah, yeah we love her. <laughs> All right. So Katie, so now you, you guys both go in together, you do a retrieval and that whole process. How did that go? Um, it was kind of wild. I think that I, I definitely like kind of disconnected. Like I can't even tell you how many eggs were retrieved or like, (laughs) yeah. Um, but I were, yeah, I remember like sitting in the office and then going through everything and, um, yeah, we had to go see like a counselor. There were like lawyers involved. It was kind of crazy. Um, right. I have to, yeah, add- they don't, I feel like they don't, they don't prep you a lot. Like I hadn't ever heard about all this, um, the therapy aspect or the legal aspects. So like I had to get an attorney to basically allow me to adopt Katie's eggs. Okay. Um, and, uh, which was expensive by the way, but the, you know, the REI won't, they won't allow you to move forward until you, you do that. But there's, there's attorneys, like they specialize in egg and embryo adoption and you basically fill out all the paperwork and make sure both parties agree. And I even told Katie, like, if say we get like a shit ton of eggs, like, do you want half of them for yourself? And she was like, so adamant that she would never need them. Mm -hmm. Uh, and was like, no, like these are yours. I'm not going to need them. And I was like, okay. Because like, I would put that into this legal thing um, and make sure. And she, she said no. Uh, and we also both had to go to a therapist, like a counselor therapist that specializes in, you know, different families, I guess, you know, like whether it be adoption or embryo adoption or whatnot. And we had to see her separately. 
Um, and really it's just to ask like a lot of important questions that you might not have thought about. Like, um, you know, say you're at a family reunion and you look across the table and you see your sister's kid that's actually half you. Like, are you going to be like, that's my child? You know, like stuff like that. Right. Um, to our spouses, like my, that's what I was going to ask next is tell me how the husbands felt. Was there any convincing that needed to happen or were they on board? Um, um, and Brad, he was very much like, it's your body, your choice. Like I fully support whatever you choose to do. Um, and my husband was more like, well, that's weird. It's like, I slept with your sister. Like my husband's so goofy <laughs> that he just, he's so fucking awkward. He always asks, he just makes the weirdest comments and we're just like, shut up, girl. Um, <laughs> I think that's a good, I feel like some guys would think that though. So I'm glad you said that, you know, like it's kind of He's like, people are going to think that's so weird. I'm like, I do not give a shit what anyone thinks. Like this is right. our family. And this is my sister's my closest genetic match. Like, would you prefer me to use a stranger? Um, yeah. And some people feel differently about that. They feel like if they use a family member, they'll owe them something for life, which I can understand that depending on the relationship you have with your sibling, but I don't know. Katie's special. I feel like if I had needed an arm, she would have cut one off and give, given it to me. So we just, I don't know about I don't that. Know. We've never felt, <laughs> we've never felt, I've never felt like Katie would think I owed her something, even though I, I mean, I do owe her so much, but I don't feel like it's something that she would hold against me in any way. So, but I don't know, Katie, what do you, I'm Katie was kind of private with like her, with the conversation with the therapist. Um, Mm -hmm. I don't know, Katie, what do you think about that? No, I mean, I, I mean, I, I guess this goes later, but like it, I don't know how to explain it, but like once the eggs left my body, they were no longer mine. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and I, I, I mean, spoiler alert, she had a baby. Um, yeah, (laughs) I, I love Lucy like as my niece and I, yeah, I feel nothing more than like that fam- familial love right. her. That's so interesting. So you guys did the retrieval and the transfer mm-hmm. and on the first transfer, did it, it worked? Yeah. So we did a fresh transfer. I forget how many eggs Katie got, but we got four embryos. So we, they picked the best one and they froze three and it worked. Um, and I kind of had a feeling this time because I was like just feeling, you know, all the pregnancy symptoms, like super tired and bloated and right off. Um, but because of what happened the first round, I don't know. I, I feel like the entire pregnancy, I was like holding my breath. Like I wasn't ready to get excited. Um, yeah, I didn't want anyone touching my stomach, but I'm kind of like that anyway. And until she, until she was in my arms, I was like, this is uh, like, I don't see this as the real Deal. Yes, I think that's so common that people feel that way. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, but it was kind of a running joke with my husband and my sister that um, he was like, "What if our what if the baby comes out with red hair?" Because Katie's son Rowan has like the most fiery red hair. Yeah, um, and he was like, "If we have a redhead, you're going to take it back." Like, ha ha ha. Aww. And uh, <laughs> Lucy is a redhead. Which oh my gosh, so, so cute. So Lucy was born. 
how was that when she was born? How did you guys, how did you guys feel? So I got diagnosed with gestational hypertension at 31 weeks. Um, I mean, I work in mother baby at the hospital. So I, so it wasn't like that big of a surprise to me. I kind of felt off. I took my blood pressure at work and I was like, well, that's not good. And then it kind of uh, went downhill from there. So I got put on bed rest, modified bed rest, which means you're still allowed to like get up and walk around, but you're not supposed to exercise or work, um, which was really hard for me because I'm really active. And at 33 weeks, I got hospitalized for good where they're like, you're not leaving until you have a baby. We're going to try to get to you to 36 weeks, but we'll see. And then at 35 weeks, um, my blood pressure spiked and I couldn't get it to go back down. So, um, I knew that, um, I was going to have to be induced and that Lucy would most likely be in the NICU for, you know, being premature and her size. So, um, I ended up having her at 35 weeks, two days, and she like came out kicking and screaming that she was a peanut. So she was uh, three pounds, 13 ounces, um, went to the NICU, but mostly for size. So it was breathing on her own, eating on her own, um, just needed to gain a little bit of weight, which she did. And we were able to take her home, uh, after I think eight days, something like that. But I feel like it was just like this long anticipated thing. Like my whole family was waiting on this miracle baby. And we were all just really excited to meet her and bring her home and for everyone to get to know her. Yeah. It's so awesome. Katie, were you there when she mm-hmm. was born? No, because with COVID protocol, I mean, they wouldn't let anyone go in. Yeah. They wouldn't even let my husband come until I was like actually being induced. So I, I spent a week in the hospital by myself in like a tiny room and I wasn't allowed to leave it because of COVID. It was pretty much torture. That is torturous. Oh my gosh. All right. So now you've got Estelle and Lucy and Mm -hmm. um, Katie, you've got Rowan. And then you decided that you guys wanted to have more kids, right? Or maybe not. You didn't decide just then, but you wanted to have more kids all along. So what happened Katie with you and your husband, as you guys, you know, pursued more family building? Yeah. So I think as we were going through the egg donation process, we're like, okay, well, now that we've helped them on their family, like we'll try to grow our family. Um, and we had a, like a big trip uh, planned for April of 2020 to Scotland. And we're like, all right, going to go on this amazing trip, come back and it's going to all happen. So the plan was, yeah, to go to Scotland, come back, and then, you know, get to work. And then um, COVID hit in March, so all plans got canceled. Um, and so the discussion was then, okay, well, let's go ahead and try it now. But with COVID, with the shutdown, um, I I had an IUD um, even through the egg donation, which I think was really cool. But they, I couldn't get an appointment to get it removed because it was not an emergency uh, until July. So, yeah. So once July hit, I was finally able to get an appointment. Um, I think we tried for two months. Yeah. Um, and then got pregnant. And I remember texting Emily and she was like, wow, that was quick. <laughs> um, <laughs> and yeah, we were, I guess, pregnant for a little bit at the same time. Wow. Uh, and yeah, that was 
exciting. Uh, I like got my son one of those like big brother <laughs> t-shirts. Right, right. Everything went like perfectly in our, when I was pregnant with Rowan. So I was like, all right, we're not going to have any problems. So I told family, I told my parents, I told our in-laws. Um, and I'm a, I'm a big proponent of like telling people, um, earlier rather than later. And, but, uh, I, I guess around six weeks I started cramping and spotting. Um, and I went in, they were like, it could just be early. Let's wait, follow the HCG levels. And then I kept bleeding and spotting. Um, and it was a miscarriage. And then, yeah, that sucked. I'm so um, sorry. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think I think we were all pretty surprised. Yeah. Actually. Um, I remember calling you and mom, right, Emily? Like, right yeah. after I left. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, about your, like, HCG levels, and you were like, it's not looking good. And we were like, things do happen. You know, it's like if you're Googling the scenarios where someone's HCG is low and and goes up, like you can find those stories if you look for them. So completely. Yes. That's the beauty of the Um, internet. You can kind of find it. Yeah. It's like you you find what you're looking for. So you always hold out like this. Right. Yeah, totally. Then I think maybe like your second or third blood draw, they like confirmed it, which was really shitty, but I don't know, Katie, you were super, you were just like, it's okay. It's early. Like these things happen. Yeah, I'm um, very much of that mindset, like, all right, mm-hmm. it's just a blip in the road um, on this journey. Like, it was bound to happen to one of us. <laughs> um, Wait, yeah. just for timeline purposes, I know we already talked about you having Lucy, but you were pregnant with Lucy still, Emily? I, I, yeah, I, w- I think okay. I was pregnant, and she had her miscarriage, like, a couple weeks before I had Lucy. Okay, gotcha. For, for her first, yeah, her first miscarriage. Okay. Yeah. Um, so but I you're just like, this happens. We're going to go like, we'll do it again. Here we yeah. go. And I literally got pregnant two weeks later. <laughs> wow. Um, was it that fast? Holy shit. Yeah, it was that fast. And I, I was a lot more guarded at that time because you were in the hospital and I didn't want to like stress you out or my parents were already stressed about you or Emily. Um, so I kept it very much to myself. And then, um, I went in for like the seven week scan and I had to go, I don't know why I went to seven weeks. I should have just like waited and not been disappointed, but, (laughs) um, so I went in at seven weeks and the, um, OB didn't see much of anything. So I went and got another scan and they still didn't see anything. Um, and they're like, well, it could just be early. And it's like, I fucking know my dates. I'm not an idiot. Um, right. Yes. <laughs> totally. And like, okay, well, we'll just, you know, watch your HCG. If you um, like start bleeding, like come on in again. And then I, of course, started cramping and bleeding um, on Halloween. So I guess like just a year ago. And yeah, I... I remember just like 
Um, we didn't celebrate Halloween at all. My son, um, he might've just like felt the energy, but he did not want to wear his Winnie the Pooh costume. So we literally just <laughs> sat inside on Halloween last year and like cuddled all in bed and like cried. Oh, um, I'm so sorry. <laughs> did Rowan know that you were pregnant? No, I mean, he was two. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I, I think what, Emily, I told you guys like after the fact that I had been pregnant, I don't really remember. Mm-hmm. You had just had, yeah, you were like, I was, but I just, I think I'm having this. You said like, nothing's confirmed hundred percent. We're waiting on my HCG levels, but like most likely it's like ending in miscarriage. So it was kind of like the same exact, same exact thing that happened as the first time. And we were all like, dang, that's shocking. Like what? Yeah. Like, how can you have, how can you have like a textbook first pregnancy? No problem getting pregnant. And then now it's like you're the unlucky one in whatever because like a first miscarriage is very common but once you hit like two plus it's like you become more and more rare um yeah which yeah. Katie's OB was trying to explain to her be like it's you're probably just unlucky like right probably, there's not something wrong with you probably just unlucky. right it's so frustrating when doctors say that it's just bad luck. You're just on the wrong side yeah. of the numbers and then but then it happens yeah. over and over and you're like all right how many fucking times going to be on the wrong side of the numbers. So Katie, were you guys motivated to, to get like tests done or figure out what, you know, with, cause now you're veering into like recurrent pregnancy loss territory, right? Yes. Um, So after the second one, it was like, oh shit, something might be wrong. You know, I had done testing one before I did the egg retrieval. And the only thing that was off was my thyroid, but they had put me on, um, synthroid. Um, but I, I think I had gotten off of it because I went and saw my doctor, my primary care physician about it. Um, and he was like, oh, these numbers look fine. Um, fast forward to later. And I read all of these, this research about like what your levels should be when you're trying to get pregnant. And they were not in that area at all. Um, so Uh, So never trust your primary care doctor (laughs) and advocate for yourself as I feel like it's a recurrent theme on, on this show, like your own research, because, because my RE from the beginning was like, I can't believe your doctor hasn't even put you on synthroid in the first place. And like made like, then Katie was like, am I silly for like not asking about this? I'm like, you couldn't have known these things. Um, so yeah. But yeah, so I went ahead and like got, tested for, um, a bunch of things. And the only thing was again, like the thyroid was like a maybe. And then the, um, what the AMA, Emily, what was, it's like the sticky blood. What's it? It was like the, like, you know, blood in a cardiomyopin something. I don't know. Has yeah. to do, you know how like people have uh clotting, like a clotting disorder. And a lot of people end up taking, um, like Lovenox shots during pregnancy it was that. So yeah, like Katie and I, I'm the one that's like researching this and I'm like texting my RE and she's like, it could be that. Um, she's like, what? I mean, if your sister's ready to come see me at any time, I'm happy to see her. But Katie, Katie was like, still like, no, we're not there yet. Like I want to stay with my regular OB and we're going to run some more tests and see what happens. So, yes. Well, it should be noted that like I met, I had Kaiser, um, insurance and they're not great. Um, mm, yeah. Coverage, so, well, coverage wise for infertility, which honestly most insurances suck for that stuff anyway. So, 
Yeah. So um, we got the testing done and waited until like um, it basically showed like no, there's basically no reason why you had these two miscarriages. Um, So we started trying in 2021 um, after I think it took us a few months and then I was pregnant in April and that was exciting because I was like, all right, third time's a charm. This is it. Like, um, and then that one, um, I think I started bleeding and spotting at about five weeks. So gosh, I'm so sorry. Yeah. The, um, I, I find it really annoying because, well, at that point, my OB was like, all right, we, now we can refer you to an RE. Um, so I went to the one that they referred us to and, oh my God, it was like a horrible experience. I cried because you're like talking about these hard things. And I talked about like the, the latest miscarriage and he's like, Oh, well, that's not technically a miscarriage. It's a chemical pregnancy, blah, blah, blah. Oh, can I say something? I fucking hate that. They're all losses. Like, why do they have to be ones diminished because it was only X amount of weeks, like chemical blighted ovum, missed miscarriage, like all that. I feel like they should all just be under the umbrella term of miscarriage. It's a loss. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Like even with a transfer, like a failed transfer is a loss. Yes. Or an embryo um, that doesn't make a thaw mm-hmm, or mm-hmm. an embryo that doesn't make it past day X. Yeah. I think we need to broaden these terms because it just really makes people feel like shit. Yeah. I mean, if, that, if the guy was just super, I'm sure he wasn't a bad, he's not a bad doctor. He's just very clinical, but he had like no, like no emotional response, like not like, oh, I'm so sorry you've gone through this. It must be really hard for your family. He was just like, okay, well, this is what I rec- recommend. You have to do IVF. And, um, you know, this, like he just, he was just very direct and, um, like he just wasn't the right fit for you, obviously. No. Um, and he, I was 34 when I talked to him and he said basically that, you know, it could just be that my eggs are old. old. <laughs> and I was like, well, I just, I've like just donated eggs to my sister. And yeah. Does that not she had a- mean anything? <laughs> and he was like, no. Um, <laughs> like, okay. Right. So, so just out of curiosity, I know you had said those were all going to be Emily's. Like, did you have any left or did you, were you ever tempted to? get back in, dip back into that? Or is that just like off the table completely? Well, I, so at that time, after the third miscarriage, I like kept kind of like flashing back to like sitting in the Ari's office. And she asked like, what do you want to do with any like remainder? Um, And I was like, well, we didn't have any issues getting pregnant the first time. Um, And I don't want to pay money to have like, to freeze them. Like, that's just silly. Yeah. Um, that makes sense. And then <laughs> like, fuck. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I kind of wish I, not kind of, I wish I would have mm. said something different. Um, yeah. But how are you to know? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So we did all like the typical tests after that. <laughs> you know, the sonohistogram and the HSG and all that stuff. And basically everything came back unexplained, which 
yeah, I don't, it just doesn't make sense <laughs> having three pretty similar miscarriages all, all, yeah. Um, all, around, all around the same exact time. Never saw um, her on any, mm-hmm. so. Yeah. Okay. So you were, you guys right now, you're still kind of just pursuing this naturally. Is that right? Key? Yeah. So when, uh, my RE recommended, um, when I moved REs to now Emily and I share the same one, um, she recommended waiting until my thyroid levels were within like a certain range. So once that happened, we decided to start trying again naturally. Um, and then three months later, um, I contacted the RE just to say like my, I cannot handle this anymore. (laughs) Yeah. Been way too long. I just want to get, I want this period of my life to be over. Um, cause it sucks. And she was like, I totally get that. How about we do two IUIs? If those Mm -hmm. don't work, you take like a small break over Christmas and then we'll discuss IVF. And I was like, that works for me. Yeah. And, but it's also worth noting that she said, if you do end up getting pregnant, you need to come in right away. We're going to run all your numbers and I'm going to put you on blood thinners. Mm, so, okay. But yeah. you didn't get pregnant, but she didn't get pregnant naturally. So. Okay. So have you had any of the IUIs yet or that's yeah, next one IUI that did not work. Okay. Um, and then I'm set to have another IUI uh, beginning of next week. So, oh, wow. Oh, wow. So you're still I mean, in the thick of all this. I'm definitely in the thick of it, which I feel like is important to share. I feel like you hear so many of the, the end of the story mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> baby, or you've chosen to take another route. Um, yeah. Agreed. Yeah. Think of it as like a, definitely a different perspective because you're, there's so many unknowns and oh, it's like, I don't want this last forever yeah um, I mean I know it won't but it, at this point it's like feels like forever feels like absolutely forever it does and even like every week that goes by or every month you're like oh that's another month that could have been this and you know you yeah. see all these milestones think- and holidays and it's just like it feels like time is moving slow mm-hmm. so slowly but also like flying by on another level yeah absolutely. I think also with your second which like Ali, I'm sure you know this well. It's like that widening age gap. Like you had all this plans in your yeah. head. Like, oh my God, my kids are going to be three years apart. And then you're like, well, fuck, I guess now they're going to be four years apart. Like, are they yeah. going to be friends? They're going to like each other. And for me, I had to, I mean, I left that go by going to nursing school. But in my head, I was like, my kids will be like max five years apart. And when we had our failed embryo transfer and that, um, you know, like, the school year birth date requirements, like we passed that. And it's like, I'm still angry now about that, that my daughter was past the school deadline of September 1st, because now my kids are six years apart in school instead of five. I get that. Had it it worked. It's like, it's so stupid. Like I'm, I'm so happy that it's not worked. You can feel, but here's the thing I've learned is you can feel grateful Mm -hmm. that you have these two kids, but also pissed off that you didn't have them when you wanted to have them, you know, like, You can have all of those yeah. emotions and that's valid. Yeah. I know my kids are and seven, I know Katie. Mine are seven years apart. Um, well, 
Yeah. And I'm sure they'll be, be like besties later. And like, none of this is, will matter because Katie and I's younger sisters, you know, over 10 years younger and we're all right. super close. So it doesn't matter, but with right. Katie, so she's like trying to get pregnant again. And I'm, and I'm, you know, I'm sure she's wanting to like hit that September deadline for the second one. And it's like <laughs> that date is slowly fading away. Like if it doesn't happen soon. So it's like, I get it. Super, super frustrating. Yeah. Um, Katie, I'm sure you think about that a lot. I mean, I'll be honest. I wasn't thinking about this. Oh, fuck, fuck. <laughs> now you are. <laughs> Thanks for giving me first. to worry about. <laughs> oh my God. Spoken like true sisters, right? Sorry. Um, Sorry. Well, guys, thank you so much for sharing this story. And Katie, we will all obviously continue to root for you. And please keep in touch and let us know what's happening. If you feel comfortable with that. But I just, I think it's so, you know, there's nothing like a bond between sisters and I feel so lucky to have one um, and stepsisters as well and a stepbrother, Mm -hmm. but you know, it's just, I think what you've guys, how you've supported each other and what you've done for each other along the way has has just been really inspiring and cool. So any last thoughts for anybody that might be listening? Uh, This is Emily. Um, I was just going to say that, like, I feel you know, super lucky that Katie is my sister and that she was able to give our family this gift. And it's been, I know it's been especially hard for Katie as she's gone through all of these losses and you know, wondering if she'll ever be able to expand her family. But for me, I guess there is um, some type of sadness and guilt that like she gave us this amazing gift and, you know, now she's suffering herself. Yeah. Um. So that's, it's really hard to see someone go through that, especially your sister. And for me personally, I'm like, no, you're not giving up until you have number two. Um, and Katie's like, you know what? If it doesn't work out, we have this great kid. And I'm like, no, you're not letting it go. Like, forget this is going to happen. Like, you know, it doesn't matter, you know, money wise, you know, our whole family will support you financially if it's like a money thing. And my husband even joked the other day, he was like, do you want, do you want your sister to carry your baby? And I was like, oh, damn it. Like, I don't want to be pregnant again. Um, but I would, <laughs> I oh would God. carry your baby. Like what a weird story that would be. Right. That would be crazy. <laughs> yeah. So oh my gosh, but I would do any, any final thoughts from you? No, I mean, I, I would do it again in a heartbeat. Um, Lucy is amazing. Um, and our family is a little bit obsessed with her. Um, (laughs) so yeah. All right, everybody. Was that not fucking amazing? I just love these sisters and they're so incredible. I'm just really grateful that they shared that with us today. So Thank you so much for listening. Thank you again to them for reaching out. If you like this podcast, please go to Apple and give it a quick review and rating. It really helps us get noticed. And I also want to thank you guys just for your ongoing support throughout the last you know year and a half plus. We've recently hit over 500,000 global downloads, which is insane. And I'm just really grateful for each and every one of you. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Love you guys. And I will talk to you next time.